This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the TriDot Podcast. This episode, we'll be taking a deep dive on the wonderful world of the neoprene miracle workers that we call wetsuits. Those beautiful Shamu the Whale looking supersuits that help us cruise through the triathlon waters. We're in good hands for this episode. Our first guest joining us for this chat is Jan Siberson, the founder and CEO of Sailfish. Jan began his career with an award-filled 10-year stint in the German national swim team. Once he turned his attention to professional triathlon, he was first out of the water at the Kona World Championships four times. He set a world record Ironman swim split, an epic 42-17 at Ironman Germany in Frankfurt. He launched Sailfish in 2007, creating premium triathlon and open water swim products for age groupers and elites alike. And then, as a professional businessman and amateur triathlete, Jan went back to Kona and set the Kona swim course record, which he still holds to this day. So needless to say, there is no one I would rather talk with about wetsuits than Jan Siberson. Jan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Andrew. Really appreciate uh, to be on your world-famous show, and I'm um, looking forward to chatting with you. Also here is TriDot coach Joanna Namey. Joanna is better known as Coach JoJo and has been coaching athletes with TriDot since 2012. She's a co-founder of Hissy Fit Racing, a member of the Betty Design Elite Squad, and keeps adding Ironman finishes to her accomplished triathlon resume. I think she's almost up to 20 full-distance Ironman finishes now. Uh, Coach Joe now serves as the director for TriDot Pool School. Uh, Coach Joe, welcome back to the show. Just uh, coming in fresh off of a Chicago edition of TriDot Pool School, aren't you? Yes. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. It's an honor to be here with Jan. Um, I look forward to this. I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cooldown. Ketones are nature's superfuel, and the Delta G ketone ester created by Professor Kieran Clark at Oxford University is the world's first drink that delivers the exact ketone produced naturally in the body. When I talk to trot-out athletes who are already using Delta G drinks in their training and racing, they all rave about the spark of energy and the mental clarity the ketones provide. Some athletes are taking Delta G performance on the side of their carbohydrate source. Others are mixing in Delta G tactical with their nutrition. Both ways are highly effective. So however you approach nutrition, there is a Delta G drink that can mix seamlessly into your flow. The team at Delta G even offer free 15-minute one-on-one consultations where you can learn the best way to supercharge your nutrition routine with Delta G ketones. So head to their website, deltagketones.com, to learn more about fueling with Delta G and to book your free 15-minute consultation. When you place an order, use code TRIDOT20 to get 20% off your super fuel ketone drinks. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. With a wetsuit-focused episode, I thought to myself, why not go all-in on neoprene and do a wetsuit-focused warm-up question as well? So Jan, Joe, 
to get us started today, to get us all properly warmed up for this wetsuit conversation, if you lost a bet with another triathlete and you had to wear a full-on triathlon wetsuit to a non-triathlon-related public appearance, where would you wear your wetsuit and why? Coach Joe, ladies first. I'm going to let Jan go first because now i got to think about it for a minute. <laughs> Jan Simperson, it's your first time on the podcast. What do you What do you think here? We're throwing you in. So first time on the podcast and I, I got to make get to make a fool out of myself right away with the first question. Fantastic. Fantastic. I, I do have historical... This is how we get going. <laughs> I do have historical data on this. So... Um, Oh yeah, here, here we go. So, and not that I lost. It sounds like a story. No, 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 not that I lost uh, a bet, but um, for for the for the for the techno freak, you know, the Germans are into techno. So, for the techno freaks yeah. amongst uh, the listeners, um, there used to be a, a very famous techno club at the Frankfurt International Airport called Dorian Gray. And it was the craziest club in uh, in, uh, in Germany before Bergrein in, in, in Berlin. And you had to wear something really crazy in order to get in. So I think it was like, really? yeah. So I think it was like in the mid nineties and I had just done like my first triathlon and a good friend of mine invited me to go there. And we both decided to show up in our triathlon wetsuits, and uh, and we got in. So um, it was- And they let you in. <laughs> and they let us in, yeah. So. Um, but I guess for a normal setting, you know, I mean, if it's if let's say, I mean, just for the for the fun of it, if it says somewhere suit and tie, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd show up in a wetsuit and put a tie around. Should, should be all right. All right. Yeah, I, I could see that. And you're the guy who could actually pull it off. Like, it would make sense for you to roll up to uh, uh, something like the, the some sort of triathlon award show or something wearing a wetsuit instead of a suit. So love that answer and love that story. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Coach Joe, did you have some time to think about this now? Did, what, what, what are we thinking here? Yes, of course. Well, I was thinking about Jan as he talked about that. And um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that the Kardashians are wearing um, something that looks like a neoprene wetsuit at this point. So it's probably um, totally on current fashion point. But I'd like to probably mortify my kids at some point. And I have been known Ooh. to get out of the lake. Yeah, wear that wetsuit all the way home. And I have no shame getting out in the driveway in that wetsuit walking in the house. And my kids are like, why can't my mom just be a little bit normal? Um, <laughs> so I, I probably show up at the high school in that wetsuit. And, um, That's awesome. And just, you know, one one good embarrassing moment for them. And they probably never get over me stepping out of the school with the uh, with the wetsuit on. Yep, love that. Love that. That would be amazing. I, I think you should do it, like even without losing a bet. Like you should just do that uh, for the story. Uh, I, I thought about this a pretty simple answer for me. I would wear my wetsuit to the grocery store. Uh, whenever you go to a grocery store, they're always just freezing in there anyway. And I, I can't think of anything warmer to wear than my neoprene wetsuit. And so if I had to wear one in public anyway, why not go to the grocery store and, and be nice and warm and cozy as my wife and I grocery shop? Uh, we like to go grocery shopping early on Sunday morning. Uh, so I'm not usually super awake yet anyway. I'm not a morning person. So, uh, you know, I, I will accompany her to the grocery store and we knock our shopping out together. But I, I think if I wore my wetsuit there, I, I'd be warm and comfortable and I wouldn't really be awake enough to know what's happening. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be awake enough to, to be embarrassed about the fact that I'm in a wetsuit and people are staring. So even if I got some funny looks, I, I don't think I, I would even realize it. So that would be my pick here. We're going to throw this question out to our audience. Make sure you're a member of the I Am Trot Out Facebook group. We have uh, 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 thousands of athletes talking swim, bike, and run every single week. Every Monday when the new show comes out, I post the warm-up question to you. So give this one some thought. If you uh, lost a bet 
or uh, just for fun, like Jan, if you uh, had to wear a wetsuit out in public for a non-triathlon public appearance, where would you wear your wetsuit and why? Can't wait to hear what you have to say. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. We are thrilled to have Jan from Sailfish on the show today and equally thrilled to have Sailfish as the swim partner of TriDot Training. You'll hear more about this from Jan in the episode today, but the Sailfish mission is to create premium triathlon and open water swim products. Sailfish offers swim skins, tri suits, and swim accessories, but the core of the Sailfish product line are their award-winning wetsuits, known for their outstanding flexibility, balance buoyancy, and distinguished gliding properties in the water. Sailfish wetsuits are truly made to make you faster, and that certainly has been the case for me. I've swam in many different brands of wetsuits over the years, and my Sailfish is the very first one that I put on got into the water, and clocked swim splits I had no business hitting on my own. For me, it was love at first stroke. With several models and price points, there for sure will be a Sailfish wetsuit that is right for you. So head to Sailfish.com to check out all the neoprene goodness and use code SFCTRIDOT20 at checkout for 20% off your new wetsuit. A quality triathlon wetsuit is an important investment for an aspiring triathlete to make. If it's well-made and it fits right, a wetsuit can be an enormous boost to your open water swimming experience. And here to tell us how they are made, how to pick one, how to swim in one, and how to take care of one are Jan and Coach Joe. Now, Jan, before you were making wetsuits, you, you were swimming in them very, very quickly as a pro triathlete. Uh, and before you were a pro triathlete, you were a swimmer on the German national swim team. What was that experience like uh, just with so many successful years representing your country at such a high level in the pool? Look, I mean, anybody uh, in, in any sports, I think if you if you represent your country, it's kind of like the the highest thing you can achieve as an as an athlete, um, maybe aside from the Olympic Games. So, you know, it makes you it makes you extremely proud um, uh, to represent your country. Um, it takes you to a lot of places. It uh, widens your horizon. Um, it brings you in touch with uh, a lot of interesting people. Um, you're getting exposed to uh, the best training methods and analytics uh, that there are out there. That was for me, but that was all in the 90s. Um, so you know, and and I really believe that you know swimming kind of like uh, opened the world for me. You know, and later on going to the U.S., studying in the U.S., working in the U.S., uh, all this would have not happened if I if I hadn't had that um, that swim career. So um, and looking looking back, uh, it was really the the foundation I would say for for my uh, not only for my sports career but also for my overall career. So after the swim career, you, you referenced coming to the United States to study for a little bit. Um, so you graduated from Harvard University and worked in investment banking for a few years. And Jan, I noticed in your career timeline, you didn't stay in that corporate world for very long before leaving and trying your hand as a professional triathlete. So what, what sparked your interest in triathlon and how did you transition fr from swimming to the business world to pro triathlon? How did that go for you? Well, uh, to, to cut a long story short, um, I actually did some triathlons during my swimming career. Um, basically, when okay. the, this because the swim season usually runs, or back in the days, I don't know how it is nowadays, but uh, the swim season would run 
uh, until you had your international meets, uh, maybe July, August, and then it would be done. Um, and then you'd have three weeks off, and then you'd start again. And in those off weeks or so, um, you know, I I had a friend who who was a triathlete, and you know, is training sometimes in the pool. And I said, look, take me to one of these uh, Olympic distance races. So that's when I first got exposed to the to the sport, and. Um, and uh, it was great fun. I was first out of the water, and then they caught me on the bike, or they caught me on the run. But still, I had a, a lot of fun um, in these first Olympic distance races. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned it. I, I, uh, I graduated um, uh, from from Harvard, went on to Wall Street, um, and uh, I mean, you know, super high intense environment. Uh, yeah. Most no most doubt. most people back in the days that you would you know there was not. It wasn't really the startup scene yet, so you would either go into consulting, investment banking, or government, one of the three. And I decided, uh, for lack of better knowledge, to go into investment banking. I was super interesting. I, I learned a lot for business. Um, I studied economics, so I think that was a little bit of the broader uh, horizon that you get there. And then in investment banking, it was really more um, more focused on on companies and sectors and industries, etc. So uh, I found that super interesting, but I, I I I honestly didn't like the work hours. I mean, you know, it's uh, sure. not, it's not a secret that uh, sometimes there are 60, 70, 80, and plus uh, working weeks. And I was like, okay, I don't want to spend my life like that. Um, and signed up uh, for uh, 70.3 back then half Ironman in Saint Croix, uh, and as basically was an excuse to get a to get a vacation uh, while I was still working in that um, Wall Street. <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, good uh, man. I need nice. a, I need a, I need an excuse, and I told my boss, uh, you know, I'm doing this. Uh, half Ironman in the Caribbean, uh, and and she says, yeah, yeah, do it, do it. But I didn't tell her, tell her that it was in the Caribbean, only on the on the second note. <laughs> and then, but then she had already approved the vacation, so uh, qualified for Kona, and then I was infected by the triathlon virus. Uh, yeah, um, and then sort of like gradually, uh, or then at the end, rather abrupt, left the investment banking world and said, look, I'm going to do two years uh, of racing pro. And um, and then I'm gonna go back to business school, and then probably end up in the corporate world again. And as we all know, life happens when you make plans, and it all came differently. So here we are. Sure, here we are. And and you did go back into the business world just as an entrepreneur, because in, in 2007 you started Sailfish, uh, launching a brand that is now, in my opinion, one of the top brands in our sport worldwide. Uh, with your world class swim background, Jan. And and your business savvy. I mean, and to me, you were just the perfect man to launch a wetsuit and swim accessory brand. Uh, it, it's a no-brainer now, looking back, right? It's like, oh yeah, of course, Jan would start a a swim brand and have a successful swim brand. Look at the knowledge he has. Look at the experience he has. But you know, looking back, you know, starting that journey. I mean, I mean, any entrepreneurial journey takes guts. It, it takes some spirit. You don't know for sure how it's going to pan out. Uh, and, and so I know when you when you first had the idea of what, what if I launched my own brand? What if I started my own company? What if I started designing wetsuits? I, I, I'm sure that that was a, mo a moment where obviously it changed your life because here you are now. When did that idea first occur to you really? 
Uh, and, and what was kind of that journey like uh, with those initial steps launching Sailfish? Uh, very, very good question. Um, so, you know, I, I started uh, this this professional triath- uh, triathlete career, and um, I noticed, okay, you know, this is great fun. You travel around the world, you get to meet all these amazing athletes, and uh, racing all over the place. But it was a bit too, uh, let's say, uh, maybe single focused or just a little one sided. Um, and I always liked the the balance between, let's say, back in school, the educational or the the, the, the academic world and the sports world. So so I wanted to have a little bit more of a balance in my life. And I actually started um, selling wetsuits in in Germany or in Europe uh, for a different brand. So it wasn't it wasn't my brand. I just uh, swam in the brand and uh, and started selling uh, those suits. And people were like, okay, you know, this guy is swimming fast. Let's buy the suits that he sells. And so <laughs> so and, and it was really you know I was by no means planning on becoming an entrepreneur. Not at all. I, I had no idea. Um, that that was going to be the road, but um, and it didn't feel like work. It was just fun selling the stuff on the side, and it worked well. So uh, a couple of years into it, I I looked at at the bigger scheme of things, and I was like, okay, you know, this um, looking at the sports, let, let's say looking at at endurance sports overall, people have more time. They they're getting into the sport. Ironman is becoming more popular. Triathlon is becoming more popular. Um, this might be a good opportunity and and I knew how to run the numbers and and did the business model did did a, had a look at how to finance all this and I was like yeah this is um, this looks like a, a good opportunity to make you know you're not gonna get super wealthy from it but the lifestyle certainly um, uh, you got to put a value to a good lifestyle as well, in my opinion. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, or a balanced lifestyle, and uh, it looked very appealing to me. And um, I thought I could also uh, develop uh, the suits uh, a little bit better than they were at that time, and bring them to the next level. And so I started developing. Um, and finally, I needed a name, and uh, came up with Sailfish, which is the happens to it this, this the, the fish actually does exist in the real world it's the fastest fish in the world um at 111 oh kil- nice at 111 kilometers an hour so i think that's what is that in miles maybe like 60 70 80 miles an hour something like that jo- joanne and i are not good at that math okay We're let's not. uh yeah let's let's not let's not do the math um but anyway it's the fastest <laughs> fish it's the fastest fish in the world so i was like okay this is it and um luckily the, the nothing was registered yet in under that brand name so i registered the brand worldwide and um off we went in uh 07 with two employees and myself, um, and uh, here we are, 16 years later. When I wear my sailfish wetsuit, I, I am not the fastest fish in the world, uh, that, that's for <laughs> sure, but I certainly am faster in the wetsuit than uh, I am w- without it. So, uh, Jan, on YouTube, uh, I, I want to I touch on this before we start getting into the, 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 the wetsuit talk. Um, it, it's, it's one of the highlights of your career for sure. And on YouTube, there is a phenomenal video piece uh, on the Sailfish Triathlon YouTube channel, uh, documenting your attempt to break the Kona swim course record. We, we know, obviously, spoiler alert, you you did it. <laughs> you, you set the record. Um, in, in 2003, as a pro, you, you came six seconds short. I mean, a 2.4-mile swim, and you were six seconds short of setting the record. In 2018, 
15 Konas later, you came back with the sole intent of finishing the job, knocking down those six seconds, setting the course record. Uh, take us back to that goal. Why, why was that such a target for you? And what do you remember from that record-setting swim? Well, uh, that, that, that was probably, or that, that was most certainly the, the biggest uh, day in my sports career. Um, and it, it was unfinished business, uh, what you already said. So, you know, I, you know, I was, as a pro, I was setting swim records left, right, and center, and I had the record in, uh, in, in Frankfurt, and then at pretty much all the swim courses, which was which was nice. But then, um, you know, I missed it in Kona uh, the, the four times, and once I came super super close, and it was really frustrating. I can tell you, <laughs> I I looked at it and I said, look, you know, when if if there's any chance, um, it is now uh, in my early 40s because like late 40s, it's definitely not possible to uh, compete at that level anymore. And um, yeah, so I put everything on on, on one card, and I, I said to myself, uh, you know, first of course you need to qualify, but then once you've qualified, definitely fully 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 train for the swim part i mean you have to finish the race in order for the record to count yeah but um so that was another story <laughs> but um yeah it's uh uh you know in in 2017 i also qualified but i only had uh, six weeks between between the qualification race and kona so that was too short um for 2018 i qualified already in november of 2017 um so that was i think the a game changer that I pretty much had a year to really uh, plan, prepare, and, and, and train for this. And by the time I would say like June, July came around, I focused like 90% of my training on swimming. Um, I, I pretty much ran once a week uh, for a 10K, and uh, I think I rode my bike uh, twice a month. Um, really, that, that was that was it. Uh, just enough, yeah. Just, just enough, just enough yeah. to like make it to the to the finish line. Um, what do I remember of the race? Um, I remember actually everything very very well um, because I had played through it beforehand uh, in my head so many so many times on 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 how to do it. You know what what to watch out for. I had the experience of racing the race five times before. Uh, I knew the swim, uh, and of course, um, I need to mention that, but I got super lucky because it was a perfect day in the water in 2018. You know, very little, uh, there was there was no current, uh, there was hardly any waves, there was a bit of cloud cover that kept it cooler than usual. Um, and it was, it was the last year with a mass start, so um, that also helped uh, to really break away from the pack and not having to swim yeah. through uh, any of the Great groups uh, that 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 makes it a lot harder nowadays but um yeah i kind of like divided the the swim part into four sections um of pretty much one kilometer each and uh first section was super easy hardly any effort just like gliding and enjoying myself and then gradually you know it it comes it builds <laughs> up and uh, gradually the pain comes and I think the last uh, 800 meters or so, including the section where you um, swim parallel to the pier, uh, and it was, the water is choppy, and there's boats all left, right, and center, and that yeah. was, those, those were probably the 10 hardest minutes, not of my life, but uh, <laughs> lactate was like coming out of my ears. And uh, and then I, I could barely get up the stairs. There's like 10 stairs until you hit the timing mat, and I kind of like, 
grab myself up like a seal um and um and I knew it right away because I uh, there's a little there's a timing uh, watch uh, clock standing there and and I saw it and I was like, fuck, <laughs> it worked. Did it? So, Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took a, then I took a break, a two or three minute break. I had a I had to throw up actually in the change tent um, because I was so exhausted. Um, and then I slowly but surely got on my bike and enjoyed the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah, uh, a well-deserved throw up there at the end of all that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was watching the coverage that year on on live uh, Iron Man's live stream, and, and I remember them. I mean, you, you were a story they were telling that they were keeping track of you. I remember you surging up the stairs, uh, trying to officially set that record. Every second counted, and then throughout the rest of the day, to your point, you had to finish the race for the record to, to count. So throughout the day, they would they would show just quick little clips of you. Up oh, there's Jan on the bike. There's Jan running. There's Jan. Yep, he's gonna make it. He's gonna do it. So yeah, that, that was the first time I'd heard of you and, and here we are podcasting together. So uh, very, very, very cool that you still have that. And uh, it's gonna be very difficult to your point for somebody to to break that record now with probably the the age group uh, rolling starts. And so you you might have that forever, my friend. You might have it forever until Joanna and Amy tries to, tries to take it, take it down. <laughs> That's so parallel, Jan, because I only missed the um, course record by about 28 minutes. So okay. I'm going I'm going back this year and I think I've got it this year. <laughs> sure. Good luck. If you need some training tips, let, let's talk after the show. So Jan, when you set that record, uh it was in the very pleasant waters of Kailua Bay and Kona. So you, you were in a sailfish swim skin that day, not not a wetsuit. Uh, but you certainly know plenty about knocking down swims covered in neoprene. Uh so I'm super curious, Jan, just just to know what goes into designing a wetsuit. I mean, from day number one, um, starting on the the, the designs for the suit. To the final day, where it arrives on an athlete's doorstep, ready for the water. What are the steps that you go through to produce a sailfish wetsuit? Ooh, that's a, there's a lot of moving parts into uh, developing, producing, and finally uh, delivering um, a wetsuit to uh, to the doorstep of uh, of an athlete. Uh, you know, usually, you know, you look at uh, let's say your entire wetsuit line uh, of suits that 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 we're offering. And you're like, okay, you know, we need something for, uh, let's say, the swimmer who wants a little bit more buoyancy. Then we need some something for uh, the more budget-conscious athlete. Then we need something for maybe like a swimmer, like a triathlete swimmer with a with with a history of pool swimming, who's a really good swimmer and who needs maybe less buoyancy. And then, you know, let's also obviously try to make uh, one suit that is the top of the, the best of the best, the top of the, the top. So I think that's the first um, uh, strategic I, uh, sort of uh, thinking that you make. Okay, how is your entire yeah. wetsuit line going to look like, right? And then, and then you look at at, at the suit at an individual level and um, you come up, uh, you know, there's there's the the neoprene thickness that you can uh, think about then uh, the coating on the outside um, super important the inner liner uh, what kind of inner liner am I using how stretchy is it going to be uh, is it going to be nylon is it going to be more of a polyester um, those sort of questions um, technical features that um, help you in Basically, yeah, in swimming, um, what kind of technical features do um, we want to add at a certain price level? Um, and last but not least, graphic design also matters. You, you, we all want to look hot, right, in the suit. Yeah, so, look good. Uh, yeah, you got to look, look good. Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, and then and then um, fit is obviously, in my opinion, one of the most crucial um, uh, things in in developing and producing a wetsuit. So we always take great great uh, attention uh, to uh, achieve a great ergonomically uh, ergonomic fit, so that people feel comfortable. I think that's that's really the the, the most important factor. And you know, and then you put all these uh, ideas together. We have a small uh, development team for for the wetsuits, and then we interact with our producers. And then it goes uh, back and forth and we get samples. Um, I swim every single sample myself um, and test it. I also give the samples to swimmers who are not as good um, so that I get also feedback from uh, from the beginners. Like me, of course. Yeah, like me. <laughs> you sure. said you were average. You weren't a beginner. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to be your average average uh, token uh, wetsuit tester, sure. Um, yeah, and then you kind of work your way, uh, you work your way up to the, to the final product and then you make it nice and uh, leave a nice note in it when you send it to the customer and I uh, hope you make a lot of people happy and faster and uh, more comfortable swimmers um, when when they're out there. So that's it in a, in a nutshell. And I would say that the entire process takes probably, if you start from scratch, it takes a year uh, to get it right. Um, if you are, uh, if you just do a facelift of a suit, uh, you probably get it done in half a year's time. But if you start from scratch, which you should every once in a while, every let's say second or third product cycle, um, then it takes a bit longer. Yeah. So, so year year to year, how much are you updating the wetsuit lines, making modifications, trying to improve it? I mean, do do you let uh, one particular uh, kind of model? go on for a few seasons before you update it or, or how often are you giving those kind of improvements and facelifts? Um, on average, our product cycle is two years. Um, so, okay. uh, yeah. So uh, you also have to look at, uh, you know, other new materials. If there's something brand new coming out from, from, a, from a Jersey producer or, or maybe a, a new zipper is, is the wrong example, but um, you get the idea. If there's, if there's an innovation, uh, sure. obviously you look at it immediately and you try to build it in. But um, in general, um, it makes sense to, to have a two-year product cycle um, to at least upgrade or every four year, years to come out with something brand new. I remember uh, there was a podcast episode we did very early on in our podcasting journey uh, as a company, and we had one of the um, wind tunnel engineers from Specialized Bikes uh, on the show. Uh, and it was, it was a great conversation. We learned a lot about aerodynamics. But one of the things he talked about is how at Specialized, they they tested, I, I think it was something like 22, 23 different fabrics on like the the sleeves of their jer or their TT jerseys to see which which ones tested at what yaw angles, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, are, are there different like 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 rubbers that you're testing or are, are there different neoprene uh, uh, brands, producers, whatever that, that you test out? Or is that all kind of just the, 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 the thickness is the thickness and just as long as it's a certain thickness, it's going to be good. Well, the, I think it's pretty common known fact that the predominant, uh, uh neoprene producer is Yamamoto from, uh, Japan. Uh, there's a couple others as well, um, that, uh, that, that we're using, but we're, we're, I'd say that the industry and, uh, as a whole is probably using, 80% uh, Yamamoto uh, rubber on the outside. However, um, the the def I would say you know, and 
for for speed purposes uh, when it comes to the coating um, I think they definitely have their uh, their game on there they they produce uh, the best outer surface however when it comes to the inner material so you know you you have a, it's it's kind of like a sandwich uh, construction so on the outside you have the rubber on the inside you have the inner liner um, the, the big differences they are in the inner liner um, so it's nice interesting when, yeah so it's it's because that really defines the the flexibility and the comfort of a suit so you know you you know you can always talk about Yamamoto. Great, uh, it's it's a great uh, quality seal for the outside of the suit, but for the inside of the suit, uh, this is where, in my opinion, uh, where the where the big differences between the brands come in. Um, whether you use that top liner all the way through the suit or only in certain certain places. Um, where do you use more flexible material? Where do you use less flexible material? Because at the end of the day, the, the flexibility of a suit is not determined by the neoprene on the outside. It is determined by the inner liner that is used. So that's a very important uh, point, I would say, uh, to know about performance of a suit. Yeah, did not know that. Very fascinating. Very interesting. Yeah, many athletes, uh, just w w when you talk to them, when you hear the chatter uh, heading in the race weekend, race day, I know many athletes actually will seek out a wetsuit legal race because they, they like the help that the wetsuit provides and getting them through that 2.4, 1.2, whatever it is, uh, a, a mile long swim. So some others, and probably your better swimmers, your more confident swimmers, uh, prefer to race without one because they, they've, they've got the technique down, they have their confidence down, and they, they like just kind of being free with their arms. Either way, what does a wetsuit do for us as, as, as a swimmer? What, what does it change about the swim experience in the water? Well, I mean, the, the, the reason wetsuits are around, uh, or the, 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 the first reason we were wearing wetsuits is cold protection. That's why they were invented, uh, so that we would be able to swim in, in, in colder or cool waters uh, and not freeze to death, basically. Um, and uh, I think building on that uh, is, you know, other factors such as uh, comfort, flexibility, uh, buoyancy, speed, um, etc. But I would I would probably mention um, uh, comfort first, and that's also the advice I give to everybody out there in the market for a wetsuit. You know, you need to feel comfortable. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't help to have the most expensive wetsuit in the world if you don't feel comfortable in it. So um, I think that's that's most important. Um, now. Of course, uh, how do you know that when you when you buy a wetsuit over over the over the internet, uh, it's not it's not that easy, right? Um, and sure. then and then I think it it really comes down to uh, buying from a brand that has experience that's been in the market for long and and probably also not uh, the super cheap stuff because because it uh, it tends to be produced out of lesser quality materials. So you know if you're serious about the sport and if you're not if you don't just want to be in the sport for a year and just maybe check out one or two races i think it definitely pays off to uh, to look for quality in a in a wetsuit uh, so so that that's my first advice uh, look for look for comfort and look for a well-known brand um that has some experience and then you need to ask yourself you know am i Am I a good swimmer? Am I a bad swimmer? Do I think I need a little bit more buoyancy for the legs? Uh, do I need to look out for a suit that is a bit more buoyant? 
and all the things that I said earlier, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, 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 an athlete with a swimming background, I might not need as much um, as much buoyancy. I want to feel closer, maybe closer to the water and have more of a natural uh, swim position. Then it's probably a, a little bit of a thinner suit, right? And if I'm in, uh, somebody who is uh, aspiring for Kona or nowadays Nice as well, um, then uh, yeah. then um, you know look look out for uh, for for the top for the top end and look for speed. So um, and and all the let's say top wetsuit brands have have uh, wetsuits um, for those uh, for that target group, if I put it that way. Yeah. And even within that, you know, so, so you're, you're getting into kind of the, the different models that are out there and, and, and the different reasons we can choose each model. But, but even within that, I, I see just in the marketing, uh, brands will put out there just, just different features that, that a wetsuit can have. And, and sometimes it's different zippers that either zip up or zip down. Sometimes it's different thicknesses of the rubber in different places. Uh, sometimes they're advertising things like catch panels on the forearm, uh, air cells, uh, throughout the body. Uh, certain glide coatings uh, and all sorts of fun rubbery tech. Uh, you know what? What of these kind of features matter in, in a wetsuit, uh, and what actually makes a difference for us in the water as a swimmer? Well, you know the since you mentioned the the uh, the catch panels on the forearm, um, uh, those are those are sort of half legal at that moment, um, and I, I'm sure or it looks like they'll be. Um, They'll be banned uh, sooner than later, so uh, we're not uh, doing any uh, of those anymore. Um, I think you know what is what is really important. Uh, you know, if if you know that your 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 legs sink <laughs> like a stone, um, uh, that's one of the most common uh, mistakes uh, yeah. or, or technique uh, errors I see. Then look for look for buoyancy on the on in, in, in the legs or the lower torso. Uh, to give you to give you a good lift, um, I think what's if what's also important uh, is is hip rotation, um, because uh, it it is just the most efficient way of swimming um, in in the long run or for longer distances. So uh, the hip needs to be flexible in in a, in a horizontal way, uh, so to say. And uh, and obviously most important you wanna you wanna have a very very good flexibility uh, around the shoulder arm area uh, to move your arms and uh, freely uh, and have as as, as little resistance um, as possible in that area. So if those are like three three features I would I would look for. And uh, usually the material if it's uh, super flexible it needs to be 1.5 millimeters. That's that's something okay. I, I would look for. Yeah. Okay, we're we're a little deeper into the episode than normal without Coach Joe saying a whole lot, and so I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna start putting Coach Joe to work here. Uh, and, and I, I wanted uh, Jan. I mean, you, you made an appearance at our ambassador camp earlier in the year, and, and so a lot of our trotted ambassadors got to got to meet you. We've got to meet you and, and talk with you a couple of times, but I wanted our, our general audience to get some context for your story and, and and who you are as a swimmer, who you are as a person, and 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 why we we never partner with a brand lightly here at Tridot, and and so we. We have formed a friendship with Sailfish, and now we're, are doing some work with Sailfish and swimming in Sailfish wetsuits ourselves and, and having great experience getting to know you and your team. Uh, but I, I want our audience to kind of hear your story. So, so Joe, you've kind of gotten to sit there and just listen for a little bit, but now I'm going to put you to work a little bit here over the next 20 minutes. Uh, when you coach your athletes, Joe, and, and I, I put you on this episode as our TriDoc coach, 
uh, here because I, I know you go every single Friday to the lake and open water swim with with your crew there in, in the Houston area. Uh, I, I know you really work with your athletes on open water swimming quite a bit to get them confident and ready for race day. You do some really creative, unique things there uh, in, in the lake. Um, so when, when you're talking with your athletes for the first time about whether it's their first wetsuit purchase or their next wetsuit purchase, uh, what, what do you say to them as, as coach with your open water experience on, on what they need to be looking for and what they need? Well, I think there's a big missed opportunity, uh, when it comes to, um, open water and, uh, wetsuits that are specific to each athlete. Um, you know, we, it, it is a third of our race, um, like Jan first, you know, horse record first out of the water. Um, and it was, I was just listening to Jan talk about the process and, um, the years of, of work that go into, um, designing these wetsuits and testing these wetsuits and making sure, you know, they're the best product for their, um, consumers. And then I deal with athletes who are, guess what, coach Joe, uh, I ordered my wetsuit. It's coming in three days before the race. And I am <laughs> of course flabbergasted. Um, Pesky triathletes. I'm like that, and and I I've heard it for years, and it fascinates me. And I'll always throw it back at them as, okay, well that's good. Did you order a bike too? Is that coming in three days? <laughs> or did you order um, new running shoes that you've never worn before three days before the race? It, it fascinates me, and it's I'm always you know instructing them that you know here we are nine months before an Ironman or six months before half Ironman, and I'll say, hey, we need to have that wetsuit. We need to test that wetsuit. You need to be comfortable in that wetsuit. It needs to feel supernatural yeah. for you. And I like when Jan said um, that, you know, they strive for comfort um, because the one thing we all know is that open water is probably uh, one of the scariest components for most triathletes. Um, most of us are not, uh, you know, lifetime swimmers, me and, me and Jan, of course, not Andrew, but, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's we're, we're very comfortable in the water versus this is a very foreign environment for most, most swimmers. And then on top of that, we put them in a super constrictive wetsuit yeah. three, that they, they've never worn or practiced in. Um, so, you know, a lot, a, a lot of advice I give to them is that we're going to be in that wetsuit quite a bit before we race. It's going to feel like it's just part of them, whether I have to get them in it in the pool um, when it's too cold, or if they're going to be at the lake every Friday, that's going to just become one with them. And I, I encourage them to, you know, as as in sailfish, it's that, you know, they don't take advantage of the opportunity they could to reach out to customer service or talk to someone from the company and say, yeah, absolutely. This, this is me. I'm not a natural swimmer. I feel like my legs and hips drop. I feel like I don't get enough rotation. You know, what do you think would be the best model for me? Um, and, and that's such a missed opportunity because I think, you know, a high percentage of triathletes are probably swimming in a wetsuit that wasn't the best for them. Um, so if they would take advantage of that, reach out, do some research and make sure they're in a wetsuit that works for them and is super comfortable for their race. Yeah, I'm glad, Joe, you mentioned the fact that a lot of triathletes, that, that first time you put that wetsuit on, it, it can feel very constricting because they are constricting. Uh, Joe, how do you coach your athletes in terms of being comfortable and confident going into that experience? It's exposure. I mean, I explain this as far as open water swimming in general. We spend 99% of our time in a pool, um, and and that's very different. I say it's the same as being on a trainer inside, and then for the first time, I'm going to put you outside on the road. It, it is a completely different environment. Same as to the wetsuit. I was going to tell you a tidbit there. I laugh with my girl 
triathlete, my, my girl athletes, I, I coach, oh, I guess it could be guys too, but I say, you know, we can't sit through a dinner in a tight pair of jeans. You know, we're so uncomfortable, but then I'm going to put you in a super constrictive wetsuit <laughs> and a cap and in a foreign environment and you got to swim 2.4 miles. I mean, if you think about the reality of this, you can't even sit through dinner in a tight pair of jeans. How are you going to make it through an Ironman in a wetsuit? Um, but as to your question, um, it's, it is exposure, you know, and, you know, we may try a couple of different uh, models of wetsuit out before we get the right one. Um, but it, they, I, I, I always tell them, I know you don't want to go to the lake, but you have to go to the lake. You know, it has got to become your norm um, that the benefits and the value of training in open water are just tenfold. Um, and so getting out there as much as possible in the wetsuit you're going to be racing in is essential. Joe, how, how often are you so like on, on, on the standard trot out training plan for most athletes, uh, unless they've changed their volume or changed their pattern, that they, they probably have two swims per week. Uh, for me, it's Monday and Friday. For some people, it might be different days. Um, how often are you looking for your athletes to get themselves in open water? Well, we're very lucky and you can tell from my accent, we're in Houston, Texas. So, um, it is, uh, we, we have a lake about five minutes from our house and they know I'm pretty strict on it. As far as if I have a swimmer with a very, very, you know, tough work schedule, family life, you know, I'm just hoping and praying they get into, uh, the water once a week. So one out of those two swims. Um, for those that have more flexibility in schedule, I do have them do their two pool swim workouts, and then we do a open water swim every weekend. Um, okay. And I, I find it's a good recovery. We usually come off of a tough brick or a long run on the weekend. Getting out in open water is a lot of freedom. Um, I want them to feel um, some calmness um, after those big workouts and, and being outside, it's, it's a, it's a piece, it's a peace of mind. And it, I always find after, uh, we've trained an athlete for a number of years, they start to love that open water experience and they start to become comfortable in their wetsuit. And it's, 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 it's not as constricting or not as foreign to them anymore. So, so something that I know is a huge help for an athlete is making sure their wetsuit is put on properly and making sure that everything is in just the right places and, and you line up the arms and the shoulders and the knee and everything just right. Jan, what, what tips have you guys found at Sailfish over the years uh, for athletes just in terms of making sure they're, they're putting on their wetsuit and getting it situated just right on the body before entering the water? Look, it's, uh, it's one of the most uh, important um, uh, things to get your, to put your wetsuit on in the right way. You can have the best wetsuit in the world if you put it on the wrong way and it's like sitting halfway between your knees. Um, you know, <laughs> or, or what, what we've all seen are, uh, is like a zipper in the front, right? We've all seen that. Uh, it doesn't help you very much. Um, so... So, you know, if you're new to the sport and you've never done this before uh, and you're, you know, you're at a training or even at a race, uh, there's people who are very experienced in this. And so ask for help or ask, hey, you know, does this look right? Because it's always better if somebody else looks at it. And what we always tell people um, is uh, before the race, you know, if there's a, if there's a possibility, get, go into the water. Uh, flood your wetsuits a bit with with water um, at the collar. So let some water run in and run through the suit um, because uh, number one, it'll make your suit fit better or fit per more perfect uh, to your body. Interesting. And yeah, and uh, and number two, um, so the, the the warming effect of a wetsuit um, actually comes in with the water in the suit. 
So it's it's uh, it's not the neoprene itself that wa- that that keeps you warm um, in the water. It's actually the water that is between the wetsuit and your body, because you're with your body heat or your body temperature, you 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 will heat up that water, and that's what actually keeps you warm. And the insulation happens through the happens through uh, the neoprene. So so it's it's very beneficial, um, even though it, if especially if the water is cold, um, to go in um, before the race uh, or before the training and and just flood the suit uh, with water, let it run through, and uh, you, you ha- you'll have that first little shock, but come out again and it'll feel much much better. So I think that's the best piece of advice I can give. Yeah, and I, I know uh, Coach Jeff Rains here at Tridot. He's he said on the podcast many times if you're in a in a race where you can't get in the water uh, beforehand, and just depending on the venue, depending on uh, the uh, how the swim starts situated, sometimes you can't. Uh, he, he's a big proponent of just taking a water bottle and just and just letting some yeah. water into the suit with a water bottle to kind of accomplish the at least somewhat of the same thing. Uh, so that that's a that's another another side of that tip. So working for Tridot uh, and going to many races over the last few years, I've watched a lot of athletes navigate T1. Uh, you know, so, some are able to get their wetsuit off smooth and quickly. Uh, some get a little stuck in uh, and lose some valuable time and, and sometimes some valuable energy. I, I, I watched a poor, poor, poor athlete in, in Ironman quarter lane a few years back. And I, I was uh, watching her with John Mayfield and it took her probably five minutes to get the, the, the leg opening over her foot. She sat down, she, she gave herself a mental break. She was frustrated, and and you you lose time, you lose energy, you know, you you lose some some mental energy as well. Uh, so, Jan Joe, what what tips do you both have, uh, and what do you give your athletes for for getting your wetsuit off quickly when it matters on race day, Jan? Uh, you know, I think that. Uh... Or the faster you you take it off after you came out of the water, the the easier it goes. Because as long as there is water inside the suit, it usually flushes off uh, easier. Now I can okay. also, I can I can also say that um, it depends also to some degree on the quality of the suit. Um, if the suit is flexible in that area, especially on the, in the, in the legs, it'll come easier over your over your feet. Um, and obviously, you can only when you when you get out of the water, you can't take it off right away because you can only put it down to your waist until you reach your uh, T1. Um, so that makes sometimes makes it makes it difficult. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, trying to take it off uh, then as quickly as possible is uh, probably the best piece of advice. And sometimes sitting down is actually better than just standing and trampling on top of it. Yeah, no, certainly can be. And I, to to your point, Jan, uh, ever since I switched to my Sailfish Ultimate IPS three, uh, that that sucker has gone on and come off super easy uh, every time I've used it. Uh, I've done one race in it, uh, a Clash Daytona. Uh, and, and it came off super easy for me. Um, I, I always, to your point, you know, by the time you get to your bike, you, you hopefully have your wetsuit worked down to your hips. And so I'll, I'll rip one leg out really easily and then stand on the suit with that leg as I kind of jerk my, my other leg out of it. And that's always worked really well for me, particularly in your suit. Uh, uh, Joe, what, what do you coach your athletes here uh, for how to get that wetsuit off quickly in, in T1? Yeah, this was an this was an interesting experience in Arizona um, that we had um, in November because you know it, the water was fifty seven degrees. Um, a lot of men and women did not want to um, you know use the wetsuit strippers because of how cold it was to get to um, the changing tents. Um, but 
I'm a big advocate of using those strippers. But the, the, the thing about it is you, it's just like mounting or dismounting a bike. You practice that. Did you practice getting your wetsuit down? Did you practice somebody pulling it off? What is the steps you're going to go doing coming out of the water? We're all discombobulated when we come out of the water and we're all standing around like, what do I do with myself? Um, so, you know, having them practice, you know, leave that swim cap on, stay warm or leave you know, pull your goggles up so you can see. And now let's get that wetsuit down to your hips. Let's get that down fast so that when you come across the strippers, you know, immediately get down, lay down, let them pull that off, let them do their job. Um, you know, I did race during the pandemic, though, when we didn't have the wetsuit strippers. And that was something I I really did practice, you know, going into Cozumel thinking um, I'm going to come out of the water, you know, and I've, I've got to get, get this off or, you know, in any race that I did, how am I going to get this wetsuit off myself? And Andrew, I liked you said you use the one foot technique. It's like pulling off a pair of, of jeans or. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like I got to get my foot. Um, for some of us that are super tall, it's more like a capri pant wetsuit. So you got to get it, <laughs> getting it even down to your foot. It, it takes a bit, um, but it's all in practice. And I, I and Jan, as Jan was saying, keeping that water in there, it does come off a lot easier. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't forget about those things. I always have my athletes ride out about 10 things. I'm like, what are some things that you probably have not practiced in it? Usually it's always one of those was, how am I going to get that wetsuit off? Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I, I'm a little guy and I've got little legs. And so when I wear jeans, like all my jeans are either like slim cut or skinny jeans, because if I wear like a regular cut or boot cut jean, it swallows me. I look ridiculous. And so yeah, get, getting off my wetsuit for me probably isn't that much different from getting off my jeans. So uh, great, great point there. I'm probably where I refined that technique over the years. But uh, the, the the only the only once or twice I have had an issue getting off a wetsuit, uh, and, and once it was in a, in an Olympic distance race, and once it was just in training. Well, it's it's when I if I take my left leg out first, if if I if I don't do the timing chip leg first, and I save the timing chip leg for second. Uh, once or twice I've gotten that neoprene kind of stuck on the, the, the timing chip and then you've got to work it over that timing chip. Uh, so do be aware of that. I have always found it easier to, to take the timing chip leg, uh, off first. Uh, yeah, Jan right now is pointing to your watch. Go ahead and make that point, Jan. Yeah. And same, same thing with, with a watch. I mean, especially with these uh, big watches nowadays, um, if you wear them over your suit and you, obviously you can't get the arm off uh, at all, uh, yeah. wearing them under your suit sometimes it has a potential to damage the suit. Um, so that's a bit, that's a bit tricky. Um, most of the suits you can actually, even though it's hard to do or, uh, mentally, but you can cut them a little bit, a couple of centimeters okay. because they are taped on the inside and the seams won't open. So, um, that's what I would always do. Um, when I was still racing, I would, I would cut it by a couple of inches or so. Um, and, uh, it would, it would come off much, much easier. Okay. Do, do you recommend athletes do that for, for maybe both arms, both legs, or just that arm where the garment is going to be, uh, you know, cut a, a couple, couple centimeters off to make sure you have a, some buffer room there. Just the, just the arm where, where you're wearing your watch. That's enough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, yeah. good, good tip there. Really good tip. Um, so a, a wetsuit is a very, very big investment for sure. And it's a good investment for, for a triathlete to make, you know, especially when you like your wetsuit as much as I like my sailfish ultimate IPS three, uh, Jan, I want this suit to last me as long as possible. 
So what are the best practices for taking care of our wetsuits? Um, look, there is not that much you need to do. Um, I think it's really more about the things you should not do. And um, it, basically, okay. it's it's sun and UV radiation exposure that will kill a suit um, faster than anything else. So we say that on average, um, a suit is, let's say, within a performance window of between, let's say, when you buy it new, it's at 100%. So let's say uh, until it gets to like 75%, and that's probably a good performance window for a suit um, uh, within the first four or five years. And that's kind of like the, the, the average lifetime for a regular use. Now, what is a regular use? Uh, I'd say maybe 15 to 20 swims a year, something like that. Um, and, um, and, and, and and sun exposure accordingly. Now we have customers uh, that, uh, especially let's say in Europe, uh, you live in the, Med on the Mediterranean, you swim every every other day or so, you go through a suit uh, within one season. It's, it's not uncommon okay. um, just because of the exposure to the sun, the salt, etc. But what do you what should you do after a swim? Um, well, number one, you shouldn't swim in, in, in the pool too often because because the chlorine, it attacks uh, the glue and um, it uh, disintegrates uh, the glue over time. And um, number two, um, it's really about just uh, washing it off with cold, cold water afterwards. And when you dry it, dry it inside out and uh, don't dry it in the sun. I think those are those are the two uh, most important um, things to watch out for. Okay, all super helpful. Uh, I, I just want to close today. You know, I, I mentioned just a little bit ago, you know, at, at TriDot, we genuinely love our, our friendship with Sailfish uh, before starting to work with your team. I mean, many of our staff coaches, uh, myself and Joe included, started testing out Sailfish wetsuits uh, just, just to see what we thought of the product. And Jan, I like that when when you had us trying your product, uh, you you sent me your nicest wetsuit first of all, and so I got to test that out. And and I think you knew that I needed the most help of everybody on our team. Uh, <laughs> but 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 it was very cool. It was cool hearing from Trident Coach Jeff Rains, um, a professional triathlete, and Trident Coach Elizabeth James, both of which are much better swimmers than I. Uh, Jeff Rains in particular used to used to coach at an aquatic center. So he, he has swam, he, he was telling me, in, in over 15 different makes, models, brands of wetsuits. And all of my coaches came back to me saying, I love this wetsuit. This is a great wetsuit. And, and, and some of them, uh, I, I had the nicest model. Some of them had the, the, the more budget models. Some had models in between. But everybody, regardless of what model wetsuit they had, was like, this is a great wetsuit. I, I, I love this wetsuit. Uh, and, and so I genuinely, we, we, we love sailfish. We love the products. We're all moving over to, to using more and more of them. Uh, so, so before we call it a day, you, you, you've been so unselfish with your knowledge and with your story, with your experience. So I want to give you just, just a second to be selfish and, and just kind of, kind of plug the brands, plug, plug sailfish and just let us know like what makes the sailfish wetsuits just so special. Uh, first of all, thanks for the, for the kind words. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. Those who know us or who know me um, over, you know, being in the business for for 20 years, we're we're not the loudest out there, and we don't we don't we don't scream left, right, and center. Um, uh, we we really work hard on uh, on developing and, and producing um, what we believe uh, the best products that we can make at at a certain price point. Um, so what what is so special? Um, you know, I think we all cook with water, and uh, it's. Um, I think it is. 
it is really the inner values of the suit, I would say, that make the difference. Um, as I've as I've alluded to earlier, uh, everybody's use or most people are using most brands are using uh, Yamamoto as um, as the outer rubber, but I think the technology um, and the inside materials that we use, uh, the experience we have, uh, nearly 20 years in the, in the business, um, I think we produce uh, very well-rounded suits with a lot of attention to detail. Um, I think we we really look out for comfort and great fit. Um, of course, speed as well, but we we do know that uh, first and foremost. It is uh, a, a very, um, uh, as we said earlier, uh, a different environment that, that um, we were in in the water and not everybody feels uh, comfortable there. So we, we must provide that level of comfort. And uh, so that's what we, that's what we uh, strive for and look for every day. And um, I think uh, we have done a fine job in, in Europe um, for the past 15, 16 years. Now we're in the U.S. as well, and I'm hoping to uh, convince a few of you out there to have a look into our brand. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. It's cool down time, and I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. I have a treat in store for you today because we have Brady Hoover in the house. He has too many certifications to name, so we'll just say he holds rock star status across many disciplines from strength training all the way to running. Speaking of running, he is blazing fast, y'all. Not only is he a seven times Boston Marathon qualifier and six times finisher, he holds a 248 marathon PB and a 1634 5K PB. He claims that he has slowed down a little bit because he has two insanely energetic little kids. Like, I wonder where they get their energy from. But I'm pretty sure that his current zone two is my zone six. So we'll just continue to say that he is fast. Brady is a personal trainer for most of the hours of his week and a triathlon coach for the remainder. He has been a triathlon coach since 2016 and with TriDot since 2019. He mainly coaches intermediate to top age groupers who often finish on the podium, I might add, and he has helped many an athlete qualify and race in the Boston Marathon. He is a firm believer that strength training is the key to success, and he is going to share some wisdom in that area with us today. But first, something that most people don't know about Brady is that he is a licensed skydiver and has recorded over 72 jumps. Welcome to the show, Brady. And are you a thrill seeker by chance? A little bit. People would say I have a need for speed. Um, everything in my younger days had been fast, whether it's from skydiving, um, when I turned 18, purchasing my first sport bike. Um, one might say I'm addicted to adrenaline, um, which is why I sold my bike to spend more money to get a triathlon <laughs> and a bike because I'm addicted to speed. <laughs> that makes complete sense. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so your tip for us today is something that you are very passionate about, and that is strength training. A lot of triathletes are so focused on getting all of their swim, bike, run sessions in, and they often neglect their strength training. Tell us why we should not skip these strength sessions. Oh, great question. Okay, so strength training, and it's key to longevity in this sport. I mean, our joints just take a beating 
Um, strength training is key to stabilizing the knee joint, stabilizing the hip. If you can't stabilize, you're going to get hurt. Um, especially for those of us that are doing those longer distance races where we just take on a lot of pounding. You know, strength training is also key to boosting performance and preventing your injuries. Um, and it also helps address muscle imbalances that our sport creates. Yeah, don't neglect your upper body or core just because you're spending most of your time cycling or running. While we may run with our legs, our upper bodies play an important role too. As you tire, the first thing to deteriorate is your form. A strong upper body helps you maintain good form and good posture and correct swing. Most triathlon-related injuries, while many are classified as overuse injuries from ramping up volume or intensity too quickly, often the root cause is some sort of muscle, muscle imbalance or stabilization issue. Weak glutes, weak quads, weak hamstrings, weak core. Uh, examples of that, IT band syndrome, patella syndrome, um, even plantar fasciitis, you would say, how could something like that, plantar fasciitis, be related to my core? Well, if your core is not strong, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way your body rotates through the air or the way you strike the ground and, you know, bad, and cause bad running form. And it's a domino effect. It travels. The first thing that impact is your foot, um, and it can cause the way your foot's traveling in the air and lead to an issue. So often the root causes, it's not ramping up volume too quickly. It's there's some sort of imbalance. So strength training will help strengthen the, the quads, the hamstrings, the glutes, the core, uh, with, if those muscles are strong, they will help absorb the impact and leave some stress off of those joints. So the purpose of strength training is to strengthen the muscles that stabilize our joints. Yeah. So take, yeah. take ITPN syndrome, for instance, uh, often the root causes, you know, someone will say, oh, you'd ramped up run volume too quickly. You became quad dominant. Okay. What does that mean? That means that your hamstrings and your glutes, primarily prop, likely your glutes are weak. So when you're landing on that pavement, especially when you're running, your pelvis can't stabilize. Mm -hmm. So it puts a lot of stress on the joints that travels down into the knee. So if your muscles can't stabilize the joints, you're going to wind up with an injury. Um, can you give us three strength exercises that are the most important for all triathletes to do? Uh, so the split squat, setting up on the floor and doing split squats, single leg deadlift, and some sort of core anti-rotation. So that would be setting up in that split squat stance on the floor. We call it the half kneel position. Mm -hmm. um, you can do this with a cable or a resistance band. And what you do is you get down on the floor, You've got, let's say your left foot is out front, the anchor points to your right. Um, so you get your left foot out front, that knee's bent, that heel's on the ground. You've got your back foot behind you. You wanna curl that, those back right toes because that's gonna allow you to engage and stabilize with your glutes, both your glutes. So mm -hmm. the front foot, that front left foot, you're pressing into that heel. You're firing up that left glute, helping, you, helping your lower body stay stable. Your toes curled behind you with that right foot that's going to allow you to squeeze mm -hmm. that right glute now you're stable you take that resistance band you bring it in front of your belly button you're going to feel the stress of that resistance band wanting to rotate you back to its anchor point you want to resist that that's why we call it anti-rotation and what you want to start mm -hmm. what you want to do is you want to start it at the gut and you want to punch it out directly in front of you know right between your belly button and sternum and you want to hold it there for a second. You're going to feel that resistance wanting to take you back to that anchor point 
and you're using right. only your core, watch your shoulders because they're going to want to hike and get involved in this. You want to keep those shoulders down and relaxed, and you want to use your core, your glutes and your core to stabilize you. Trust me, you'll feel it. Yeah. I, you know, now that you say that, I'm like, oh, my physiotherapist has recommended that exercise to me before. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.